On today's episode of the Keto Camp Podcast, we discuss cellular senescence, autophagy, anti-aging, and so much more with Dr. Nick Bitts. We all start out as these big, juicy grapes when we're young, full of life, full of water, full of moisture. And as we age, we begin to lose that essence. Um, we begin to dry out, we turn into grapes. And so Ayurveda then is really designed to stop that process, rejuvenate the body, refill the body, add moisture, add water, do these things that create balance and youthfulness. And I think that's really, for me, that's the essence of Ayurvedic medicine. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, the host of the Keto Camp Podcast. Thank you so much for pressing play today. I am super grateful. My heart is loaded with vitamin G gratitude for you. If you are interested in learning about cellular metabolism and how aging occurs and essentially how to slow down the aging process and get rid of cellular senescence, aka zombie cells, and learn these incredible biohacks from an incredible resource, Dr. Nick Bitts. Today's episode is for you. Dr. Nick Bitts is a licensed, board-certified naturopathic doctor who actually specializes in Ayurveda. We're going to talk about the principles to Ayurvedic medicine, and we're going to discuss how to take less hits. Like professional athletes that are world-class, they always take less hits, which extends their lifespan. We'll get into the nine hallmarks of aging and why there's going to be a 10th one, inflammation. We'll talk about what is cellular senescence? Why does this happen? What are the causes of these zombie cells developing in the body? We'll talk about nutrient depletion, alcohol, fried foods, the role of mitochondrial dysfunction, how to boost NAD levels, why reactive oxygen species, aka ROS, can trigger cellular senescence. That's good news for you doing keto, by the way, because you lower ROS. I asked him the question, what's the best way to test? Like we we know that we're doing all these biohacks and different diets and ancient healing strategies. What are some tests we can do? What do you think about telomere testing, methylation testing, blood work? How do we know if this is actually working? Of course, how you feel is important, but how do you know by looking at actual numbers? And he's going to give his suggestions. We'll talk about fasting, the pros and cons of fasting. And then we'll get into their products. Dr. Nick Bitts is the Senior VP of Product Development over at Neural Hacker Collective. Chances are you've used their product Qualia and different products they have, and they're just cranking out new products after new products. Their products are freaking awesome. Uh, I've always been a fan of them. 
and just interviewing him today and learning more about the research and the thought process and the structure that go behind and all of their products. It was um, it took my respect to another level. So we're going to get into their products. We're going to talk about some of the ones I've been taking, some of the ones we recommend. Of course, it's called Neurohacker Collective and Keto Campers. Well, we always work out a deal for you to get a discount. So we're going to put a link down below for all of the products mentioned and their website down below. The coupon code is KETOCAMP to get 15% off. We'll talk more about that. So let's, before we bring on Nick, let's get to the Apple podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Morgan titled Pro-Level Tips for Fat Loss. As a doctor of physical therapy and a fellow weight loss coach, I appreciate Ben's science-backed podcast. He provides simple, straightforward explanations for complicated topics and always has the best analogies. I especially appreciate his concrete tips for how to implement the research into everyday life to see better fat loss results. Thanks, Ben, for all that you do. Keep up the great work. Dr. Morgan No, you're amazing. Go follow her on her YouTube channel if you haven't done so already. She's been on the podcast before too. So thank you, Morgan. You're amazing. If you have not left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating or a review yet, please do so. It really helps the show grow. And if you want to watch the video format of today's podcast interview, and all podcast interviews, plus a lot of amazing content on keto and fasting, go subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash keto camp. Today is the day we are launching, or I am launching a brand new masterclass, Four Secrets to Keto Masterclass. And I don't know what time you're listening to this on March 10th, which is today. Uh, But at 12 p.m. Eastern time, I start the live training session. We are going to have a 24-hour replay available. So hopefully you hear this on time. If you want to join that masterclass and learn these four principles, it's a brand new presentation I have never done before, then grab your ticket over at ketosismasterclass.com. That is ketosismasterclass.com. I'll drop a link down below. Okay, let's talk about senescent cells with Dr. Nick Bitts. Dr. Nick Bitts is a naturopathic physician that specializes in Ayurvedic medicine. He is a leading voice in the natural products industry and currently serves as Senior VP of Product Development at Neurohacker Collective. His areas of expertise include nootropics, anti-aging medicine, biohacking, herbology, nutrition, and dietary supplements. Here's Dr. Nick Bitts. Dr. Nick Bitts, welcome to the Keto Cam Podcast. Hi, good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I was just telling you offline, I love the work that you're doing. It's just so fascinating. And it's becoming more and more popular over the years to talk about like senescent cells and senolytics, and we'll get into autophagy. And pretty much this is a conversation on how to live longer, uh, how to slow down the progress of aging and what exactly that means. So first and foremost, you're an Ayurvedic practitioner. And um, I'm curious, how did you even get started with that? Why, why did that pique your interest? And how did that transpire? Yeah, that's a big question. I would say that it all started with a personal health crisis. You know, I think that I tried uh, going the traditional route and I had a chronic back issue that I just couldn't solve. And so I went the traditional route, did all the imaging, was told essentially that everything looks good and you're kind of on your own, buddy. 
And when you're a 12 year old boy, you know, you, you just are like, okay, I guess that's it. I guess I'm going to be in chronic pain for the rest of my life. And so that really was the start of a long journey of just self-care, self-healing, doing deep dives into Buddhist meditation, into yoga, yogic philosophy, um, Ayurveda. So I basically just took control of my health. Um, I started reading voraciously, started getting into these Eastern philosophies, and ultimately I got into acupuncture. And my first session of acupuncture was just mind-blowing. I mean, I, I, I got instant relief. And I saw the light. I was like, oh, wow, okay, there is something that I can do here. I'm not just going to be in chronic pain forever. And so I, that was really the start. And and I just started doing a deep dive. You know, I've been practicing yoga um, since I was a little boy. And Ayurveda really is the sister science of yoga. And they go hand in hand. Um, they're both Sanskrit uh, languages, which is which is beautiful. And so there's a lot of overlap in terms of how they see the world and what they what they offer. And so I was utilizing all of those tools myself and healing myself. And, you know, eventually got into medical school, started focusing more on integrative medicine, but knowing that really I wanted to practice Ayurvedic medicine ultimately. And so I moved to India. I lived in an ashram there. I worked in a Panchakarma detox hospital and just started doing a deeper dive into Ayurvedic medicine. So I came back, got my doctorate, but still, Ayurveda is really the lens that I kind of see the world through and, and certainly how I view medicine and a lot of the botanical offerings. So 12 years old, uh, back pain. What do you think led to the back pain? Oh, well, it was a trauma. I fell out of a tree. Um, like all oh, of them, okay. I thought I was immortal and I was throwing snowballs at cars. Um, and I grew up in Colorado and, and you know, icy trees, um, middle of winter, snowballs, all of it is just a recipe for disaster um, and fell out of a tree, landed in a precarious way on the back of my neck and basically lost all sensation in my body for about five minutes, completely paralyzed. And so slowly the sensation started coming back into my toes and my fingertips and back into my core. But that was the start. That was the start of it. What is it about acupuncture that that helps? Like what, what is acupuncture doing? You know, I... I I think it's doing a lot of things. I mean, I think that they treat the person as an individual. Um, they're looking at the energetic qualities and they're giving the opposites of. So if you have an imbalance and too much fire, they're doing the opposite by doing water or something that's cooling. Um, so it's very basic. It's very naturalistic. And so, you, of course, there's the acupuncture component, there's the needling component, and then there's the botanical component. And they really work hand in hand. If you work with somebody who's really skilled at TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, and really skilled in botanicals and needling, they can do pulse diagnosis, they can do a face diagnosis, tongue diagnosis, and they can really figure out where you're blocked, where you have imbalances, and then they can treat accordingly. And the thing that I like about acupuncture is that they view the body as really a field of meridian lines. Um, and so they don't view the liver as the liver organ itself. They view it as a line. And so any stagnation within that line is called liver congestion, and it creates pain, as an example. And so even if you have back pain, they might be putting needles in your ear because that's one of the points in the liver meridian, or they might be putting it in your chest or your toes. And so they look at the body as not really as a, as a system, but as a whole and how it all relates to the back pain. And so I, I really like that. I like the holism that's that's intertwined with the philosophy of TCM. 
I do too. My my fiance has been doing acupuncture for a few months here in Miami, and uh, it's helped her a lot with her anxiety and panic attacks. So she continuously goes once a week or once every other week. So I've heard great feedback from her. It's something that's been on my list. I've, I haven't done it. My, I've done it in the past, but not consistently. And I want to do that more consistently to get those benefits that you're referring to. So you said something about too much fire, they'll mix it with water or they'll, they'll focus on water. What exactly does that mean? Well, TCM and Ayurveda are, are alike, alike in a lot of ways. They definitely use different languages. They see the world slightly different, but at their core, they're breaking everything down into energetics. And TCM has, I think they do six core elements. Ayurveda has five core elements. And those, all of those elements intertwine to give us matter, um, which is the, the physical body. And there's energetic properties to all of those as well. And so it gets into the mind, the emotions, the spirit, all of those things are interrelated to these five elements from the Ayurvedic perspective. And so at its core, it, the, both of them are medicines of opposites. And so what that means is like increases like inside the body and opposites create balance. And so when they're making dietary suggestions, they're making botanical suggestions, lifestyle suggestions, whatever it may be, they're trying to create balance in the body. And so if somebody has too much fire, then you want to do the opposite. You want to do anti-fire, an anti-fire diet, anti-fire botanicals. And I, I love that. I think Western perspective, Western medicine, Western botanicals, they're missing that energetic component. And that's just innate to the Chinese system as well as the Indian Ayurvedic system, which I really like. Makes a lot of sense to me. So at what point throughout your journey did you start to research uh, longevity, senescent cells, uh, senolytics, and just the process of how we age and what we can do about it? Yeah, aging's always been an interest to me. I, I, I've always been a scientist. And so I loved reading journals on the latest, greatest trends in aging. There is a branch of Ayurvedic medicine that's called rejuvenation. Um, it's called Rasayana, um, which is the path of juice. And so Ayurveda is all about restoring your juice or your water element. Um, and it does that very specifically through different protocols. And so there's eight branches in Ayurveda. That is an entire branch. And there are specialists that focus on rejuvenative uh, therapies specifically. And so my love of Ayurveda really, I think, was kind of my intro point to my, my interest in, in aging medicine through this idea of rejuvenation. And of course, you know, from kind of modern day times, we've all heard of ashwagandha as an example, um, which is Indian ginseng. And that comes from that eighth branch of Ayurveda, which is uh, rejuvenative medicine. And so they don't call it an adaptogen, but they call it a rejuvenative therapy. Uh, and they use it very specifically, again, to create balance in the body. And ashwagandha, again, if you look at the energetic qualities of it, ashwagandha tends to be warming to the body, tends to be oily. Uh, and it tends to be calming. And so somebody then that is cold, really dry, just dry throughout their entire being, their skin predominantly, um, and somebody who's very kinetic, has too much you know, nervous energy or just is, is just too much energy they don't know what to do with, ashwagandha will create balance in the body. And so that's when that medicine is prescribed. Interesting. Yeah. And I've heard you explain this aging process in relation to what you just shared about us being like a, a grape filled with water. And as we dry out and kind of age, we turn into these raisins. Could you explain more about that? 
Yeah, that gets back at that that Rasayana, which is the path of juice. And in essence, I view Ayurveda as its primary goal is to insert juice into your body to rejuvenate the body along the way. And so I've used the analogy again, that we all start out as these big juicy grapes when we're young, full of life, full of water, full of moisture. And as we age, we begin to lose that essence. Um, we begin to dry out, we turn into grapes. And so Ayurveda then is really designed to stop that process, rejuvenate the body, refill the body, add moisture, add water, do these things that create balance and youthfulness. And I think that's really, for me, that's the essence of Ayurvedic medicine. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. Yeah, let's get into how we do that, right? So let's talk about this from like a cellular metabolism standpoint, um, senescent cells, which is a focus of your work the last few years, and it's becoming more and more popular. Maybe for the audience who the person who's listening or watching who's not really familiar with what a senescent cell is, can you explain that? Yes, cellular senescence. Um, Cellular senescence is this emerging field in aging medicine right now. Of course, Ayurvedic uh, physicians back in the day had no idea what this was. It's really a brand new idea. Um, But I think there's a lot of uh, overlap with kind of this old school thinking and cutting edge medicine right now. Um, And cellular senescence is right at the edge of that fireball. It really is uh, the latest, greatest uh, in, in terms of what we can do from an aging perspective. Cellular senescence is in essence one of nine hallmarks of aging. Um, and so scientists have described the aging process in many different ways. There's no one way that you can describe what causes aging, but we've grouped together nine different ideas to create one kind of continuous whole idea, which are known as the hallmarks of aging. And one of those ideas is cellular senescence. Senescence is a word that comes from senex in Latin. It just means to age. And so we all age, we all go through senescence, but when a cell ages and goes through senescence, that's what's known as cellular senescence. And that cell becomes a senetic, uh, a senescent cell. And essentially what that means is that that cell that can be anywhere in the body, we have 37 trillion of them. um, In essence, it stops dividing. And when a cell stops dividing, generally speaking, it will go through apoptosis, which is cellular death. Um, and that's that's healthy. That's normal. Cells will stop dividing. They go through apoptosis. The body turns them over, eliminates them, recycles their parts, creates new cells. But when those cells stop dividing and just linger inside the body, that is a root cause of aging. And that's known as a senescent cell. And, and it gets really interesting when you start to understand how those cells do it and kind of the ramifications for having these senescent cells in the body, which, which again, which accumulate as we age. Young folks tend to have very few, if any, senescent cells, and individuals over the age of 40 have more and more senescent cells as they age, pretty much in all tissues and all organs in the body. Yeah, well, well explained. And I know that, you know, in, in the relation to uh, COVID and what's happened in the last three years, a lot of studies have come out that show people that are highly at risk for becoming really sick and potentially dying from COVID are those who have high amounts of these immunosenescent cells. And they're, they're also, some people call them zombie cells. They stick around, as you explained, longer than we'd like, and we want to get rid of them. I know that my mentor, Dr. Pampa, describes them as 
corrupt government workers that need to be kicked out of their job. They need to be gone, right? They, they're there for too long, just causing problems, recruiting other people to act like them. And the question is, uh, number one, how do you even measure? Like, what are some lab tests, telomere testing? What are some, some ways we could test to see how healthy our cells are and if we have too many of these senescent cells? Yeah, so, so you mentioned telomeres. We know that one of the primary ways that a cell becomes senescent is through telomere attrition or telomere shortening. And that just happens naturally as we age. Cells will divide. And over time, the more that they divide, the telomeres will shorten, which basically the cells lose the ability to protect the DNA. And so the DNA gets exposed, you get damage in the DNA. A cell then has the opportunity of replicating that uh, damaged genome, or it has the ability to move into senescence and kind of freeze. So telomeres are the reason why cells move into senescence. In terms of testing, you know, there's really no reliable test yet. Unfortunately, I think it is still early days. We've, we've really only discovered this idea of senolytics, which are compounds that can get rid of senescent cells. We really discovered them in about 2015. So it's, it is new. It's this emerging idea, a new field. Scientists are trying to figure out how to figure this out through various biomarkers. Um, there's a lot of proposals right now. One would be beta-galactoside. You can measure that amount in the body, and senescent cells tend to have more of that. And so individuals that have more beta-gal can give you an indication of overall, uh, overall senescent cell load in the body. But really, to date, the best and most reliable biomarker is through direct senescent cell testing through biopsy. So that's not a challenge. A, that's <laughs> a challenge. You know, there are, there are there's there's an ingredient as an example called Synactive. It's a blend of two adaptogens. It's widely used in sports nutrition products. Uh, it increases absorption of some ingredients. And it has very specific sports performance benefits. But they have done studies on this two-ingredient compound. And in doing the studies, they actually did muscle biopsies in individuals. So I don't know how they recruited individuals for this type of study, but, but they were able to show that over the course of weeks of taking this, you can get rid of senescent cells directly in muscles through this compound, which, which is interesting. interesting. Were those compounds categorized as senolytics as well? They are. Yeah, yeah. And we, we actually use them in, in our formula, our senolytic formula, because there is science showing that. There's a human study. There's, I think there's two studies showing efficacy in terms of uh, helping eliminate senescent cells from the body. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And I want to get into to your, your products. I have a few here and I want to get into like the, the thought process and the research behind why you formulated it this way. But before we get into what to add and what to do, I think it's important to talk about what to remove, most importantly. So when I think about anti-aging or, or just slowing down the process of aging, increasing your lifespan and health span. I always think about world-class professional athletes, like for example, Tom Brady, Kobe Bryant, Dwayne Wade, LeBron James. What they all have in common is that towards the second half of their career, they got really smart and they took less hits. They, they changed their game up, right? Kobe Bryant stopped driving to the basket as much. Tom Brady pretty much stayed in the pocket. They took less hits. So the question is, what are the hits that we're taking in, our, in this day and age that we could stop taking? And then we could talk about what things to add into the mix. 
Yeah. So there's really two ways. I've kind of talked about this a little bit. There's two ways that cells turn into senescent cells. Um, one is called replicative senescence. We know that cells divide 40 to 60 times and then they go into that senescent stage. Um, that's normal. That's healthy. Um, that's found throughout the body. Everybody experiences that on a daily basis. In fact, it's thought that upwards of 50 billion cells go through that on a daily basis. Yeah, it's so crazy. It's crazy, right? So that's normal, that's healthy, that's good. However, there are certain ways that, and certain things that can induce it in other ways. Um, stress and damage would be the umbrella that I think everything would fit under. Um, and I think immediately I think of reactive oxygen species, aka free radicals. They can trigger senescent cells, uh, a cell to move into senescence mitochondrial dysfunction, so you know, making sure that we're producing enough ATP, giving the body the building blocks to make sure that we have cellular energy. And there's a lot of ways to do that. Again, one of them would be boosting NAD levels. That would help support the mitochondrial pathways to ensure that cells are healthy and vital and don't move into senescence. Autophagy, again, there are ways to support autophagy. And autophagy is just cellular repair. You want to make sure that when cells get damaged, they have the ability to repair themselves and so that they don't move into a senescent cell. So that maintains really healthy, vibrant cells that you currently have throughout the body. Nutrient depletion, critically important here. If you lack nutrients, you're not going to be able to, to keep your cells healthy and, virant, uh, and vibrant. Of course, you start looking at viruses, you start looking at you know, other uh, environmental insults such as drinking too much alcohol, uh, eating too much fried foods, all of these things can really lead to damaged cells, which then triggers that, um, that senescent cell mode in the body. Yeah, it's a well-explained list. And, you know, that's, that's the truth, right? There's no easy answer. Like, just take this one supplement and you're going to stop the progression of these senescent cells. It's a combination of so many things. But you nailed it in the beginning. You said the name of the game is stress, right? And we know stress comes from three di different areas, mental, emotional stress, physical, and then chemical. And you touched upon all of that pretty much with what you, uh, what you shared. I'm really fascinated about the environmental component and something that I talk about a lot and I've learned a lot from Dr. Pampa about when we think about the world that we live in, it's really the most toxic world than ever before. We really can't get away from the toxicity out there. So the goal is to really to have your detox pathways working and open and, and be able to flush things out. But then we have like really big toxins like silver amalgam fillings and uh, mold illness, uh, black mold that are really doing some havoc to the mitochondria, creating really a, a lot of these free, free radicals as you reference. Hey, when was the last time you bit into a juicy burger or a perfectly cooked steak and thought to yourself, this is the best thing I've ever tasted. If it's been a while, it's probably because most meat products are conventionally raised, which not only affects the flavor profile, but significantly diminishes the beneficial nutrients and minerals. And believe it or not, even products that are labeled as grass-fed or ethically raised to make you think they're high quality, are often finished on grain or in factory farms, which is why I am so excited to share something with you today that will not only help you avoid the hormones, antibiotics, and pesticide residues that diminish the taste of conventionally raised meat, but could also save you nearly $1,000 over the next year on your grocery bill. And the best part? This may be the best tasting thing you've had in a long time. So what the heck am I talking about? I'm talking about Wild Pastures Meat Delivery. 
They provide the highest quality meats from small, regenerative, family-run farms here in the United States that prioritize sustainability and animal welfare. Their beef is 100% grass-fed. Their pork and poultry are pasture-raised, something you won't find anywhere in the grocery store, resulting in meats that are not only healthier for you, but also better for the environment. One of the reasons why me and my fiance Natasha loves wild pastures is that we can opt out out of supporting harmful conventional farming practices and instead support small family-run farms without spending a fortune. And the convenience doesn't stop there. They offer delivery straight to your door so you can enjoy delicious, high-quality meats without even leaving your house. No matter where you are in the lower 48 states, Wild Pastures has got you covered. Not only is this the most convenient way to get your meat products, but wild pasture meats are better for you nutritionally and they're higher in the total nutrients, phytonutrients, antioxidants, key fatty acids, vitamins, minerals, proteins, and amino acids. And today, for keto campers, for a limited time, you can get 20% off every box plus free shipping for life and... $15 off your first box. This is a crazy deal, and I hope you take advantage of it. So make the switch to Wild Pastures today and save nearly $1,000 on your grocery bill while feeling healthier and enjoying the best tasting meats of your life. All you need to do is go to the link in the podcast notes down below. Everything is already applied. All you got to do is click that link, customize your order, and you'll have some delicious, healthy tasting meats very soon. Head to the podcast notes down below, click the link, enjoy your wild pastures. Okay, let's get right back to this episode. Something that I heard you share that I'm actually going to make a video on because I thought it was so fascinating is that we consume an average of a credit card worth of plastic every week. And I looked that up and it's actually true from the University of Newcastle. That's insane. It, It doesn't seem like that's even possible. Um, I know. I had to verify it. I, I've cited that fact uh, many times in different lectures, and and every time I get pushback, people are like that can't be possible, but it is. I mean, plastics everywhere. It's in the water that we drink. People are drinking quote unquote filtered water, but there's there's microplastics all over the place. I just got a. Um, I order my my groceries usually on Whole Foods, like through Amazon. And I, and I just got a notification saying that the grass-fed and grass-finished beef that I bought in May 2022 from an organic farm ha- has been recalled because too many plastics were found in it. But I already consumed it. That was in May 2022. So that's just a, a perfect example. We can't get away from it. Yeah, and we don't even understand the repercussions yet. I mean, that's the scary thing. It's really frightening to me. Uh, and we're all exposed. And I think people are just like plain ignorant on it, which... Yeah. No, I guess that's fine. I mean, I think I know too much about environmental medicine. Sometimes I, I know my wife um, doesn't like to know all the problems with all of the things around the house <laughs> and the, her food. And, and so sometimes ignorance is bliss, but it's shocking to me how big of a problem this is and how little I think people know about it and nor are they really even doing anything about it. And that's, that's really scary. So yeah, even if we know the amount that we're doing it, like how, what does the body do with that? And that's the scary thing. I mean, the body is really intelligent. It can get rid of most toxins on a day-to-day basis. Um, but these forever chemicals are forever. And if you're five amunctories in the body, these pathways that get rid of, uh, of the toxins aren't wide open and healthy 
it's going to create a lot of problems, if not now, definitely later in life. Yeah, it's just going to fill up your stress bucket. And over time, that's going to tip over and then boom, you have the problem. But that doesn't happen overnight. It accumulates over time. And usually when people are really, really sick, where they have... um, they're in this cellular danger response. They have chronic fatigue and they just feel awful, severe autoimmune. It's typically a perfect storm, right? They might've had silver amalgam fillings for 30 years. That Now they there was like a water damage in their home and there was, there's black mold they're unaware of. They might have SIBO. It's like a combination of many things that boom, these symptoms manifest, but it does not happen overnight. It accumulates over time. Yep. And often it is that, that perfect storm. And the dose makes the, the medicine or the poison as it is, you know, Sometimes you just have so much, it's just been building up and filling your bucket that you slowly start to get that overflow and you start seeing symptoms throughout throughout everything. Yeah, and, and to your point, the body is so remarkable and it's built to, to be self-healing. We just need to remove the interference. So just the awareness is number one. And you're right, I, when I talk about heavy metal poisoning, when I talk about detoxing the right way, it kind of gets poo-pooed with a lot of people. They say, oh, what do I need to do detox if I have a liver? Or what do I need to do detox if I'm pooping every single day? But, you know, it, it's to accumulate. It's too much for the body to handle sometimes. And heavy metals like mercury, that gets stored in the brain. So the argument that conventional dentists will make when it comes to mercury being totally safe in the mouth is that um, when they've done blood tests on individuals with silver fillings, they don't see any mercury in the blood test. But that's because... It's only showing what's in the blood, which is acute exposure. It's not showing what's in the brain, which is chronic exposure. And that's where they would have to do a biopsy. Nobody's going to do a brain biopsy on that. You're absolutely right. Yep. Yep. So, okay. So those are the things we want to pay attention to. Um, The name of the game is supporting the mitochondria. My t-shirt actually says mighty mitochondria. (laughs) So I'm all about that. You you mentioned uh, free radicals is a big, big issue. Uh, Excess uh, reactive oxygen species. So, what are some lab tests that could give us a clue to if we ha- to uh, excess free radicals in our body? Oh boy, I don't know that there is an accurate test that I would recommend as a comprehensive test to give you an idea of your antioxidant capacity. Since we're talking about senescence, I certainly would think about inflammation. And I think that that to me is the most critical part. Inflammation currently is not a hallmark of aging. Um, but it's recently been proposed in 2022 as another hallmark. And so I think you're going to see that added as a cause of aging. Senescent cells are interesting because they resist apoptosis, that kind of cell death, but they also secrete these these inflammatory compounds. Um, They're localized, but they also get into the body systemically and, and really wreak havoc throughout the entire body. And so senescent cells are inflammatory. And there's, there's a lot of different ways that you can measure inflammation specifically in the body. C-reactive protein obviously is, is one of them, but you can do generalized panels. You can do a chem panel, a comprehensive blood panel. Um, you can get an idea of your level of inflammation before and after, which gives you a really good idea. If you're doing a senolytic therapy as it is, um, you can check your levels before and then do several different doses or several different regimens. And then after it, check your inflammation and see if there's any impact on that. And so it's not a direct biomarker of senescence, but I think it gives you a good idea. Is this having an impact on my inflammation levels that may be you know, manifesting as knee pain, as, a, as an example? And, and what are your thoughts on um, telomere testing? I know you said that it's not like there's no gold standard for measuring uh, your senescent cells 
besides a biopsy. But what about things that are looking at telomere length, but also methylation, like DNA age has a good test. What are your thoughts on that? I'm a big fan of that. I think the methylation test seems to be buttoned up. I would say absolutely everybody should should look at that and, and check uh, their entire panels to see whether or not they're healthy methylators or not. The telomeres, I, I'm not as convinced that that we can really get a good idea in terms of length. Of course, you know, the idea of senolytics are important because they're directly targeting aging and the aging process. But I think even a step further would be if we can take care of the telomeres specifically. And so we know that telomere ACE can add DNA onto the ends of, of the genome and create healthy caps in otherwise unhealthy um, caps. So I think that there's even therapies beyond senolytics that could be beneficial to support telomere lengths. And I think it's important to discuss the beneficial role of stress because we talked about how stress could be bad, but what about the beneficial role of it? Because there could be this uh, mitohormesis process where we could stress the mitochondria and create healthier, more robust mitochondria. Are those some, uh, do you have some protocols or some suggestions on how we could do that? Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how do you create resilience in the body? Um, you know, I often will, will look at the kind of like a bell curve, you know, a little bit of stress in the early part is really beneficial. It can waken you out of complacency, um, out of procrastination, out of boredom, all of those things and move you into action. And it's critically important. And so that's globally. And I think that actually, to your point, I think that's actually at the cellular level as well. And so you see that at the level of the mitochondria even, but it's when you get too much and you get on that, that downside of the bell curve that you start having problems. And so how do you create resilience in the body? I think that's, that's one of the biggest questions. You know, I think in part, that's why we're seeing such a, a remarkable response right now to cold plunges because they just they create resiliency on, literally on every level mental, emotional, you know, every level of the body. And it's pretty remarkable. I immediately, when I think about resilience and resiliency and how, how to promote that, I get back to uh, adaptogens and they work in some very interesting ways. Of course, we know they impact the HPA axis in terms of hormone production, but the newest mechanism of action that, that, that scientists are just now starting to uncover is this area of mitochondrial health. Um, and so we know that in part, they're working through this um, biogenesis of mitochondria. They improve the mitochondria functioning, mitochondria output. And so they are working at the cellular level as well. And adaptogens really just create resilience. Um, I look upon them as a buffer to the external world. Um, so I've, I talk about this a lot, but I commune with ashwagandha. Um, been taking it for decades now. It is my... Um, kind of my resilient set point. Um, and it, it, I think it allows me to kind of ride that bell curve so that I don't fall down on the backside. And then I'm always up top and performing optimally, both mentally and, and at work and at home and, you know, on the basketball court when I'm, when I'm playing hoops with my friends, all of that. So I, resiliency, how do you promote that? I think is, is the answer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't know you played basketball. We got to play one day. I play all the time. I love basketball. Right. Let's do it. How tall are you? Six two. Oh, me too. There you go. Even match right. right there. I'm a point guard. Nice. I'm I'm more of like a point forward than a point okay. guard. Okay. I right. got the long arm. So, anyways, we could talk about that <laughs> a little bit later. Keep it up, KetoCon. Yeah, you're gonna be a KetoCon, right? I am. Yeah. There you go. I was talking to Chris Irvin because I just interviewed him earlier in the week, and we were, we were talking about setting up a basketball game. So we'll make it happen. We'll include you too. 
If you watch any of my videos on social media, you always see me with glasses on. And I always get the question, hey, why are you wearing those glasses? These are called blue light blocking glasses. And I wear them to protect my brain and my focus. You see, we are bombarded with stimulation, especially with junk light from your computer screen, your phone, fluorescent lights, and the brain has to filter that out. These glasses, what they do is they filter out those lights for you so your brain does not have to do the work. I equate this to having a web browser open with 100 tabs. If you had 100 tabs open on your computer, that computer is going to run slow. But if you were able to eliminate 99 of those 100 tabs and now you just have one tab open, that computer will function better. This is the same thing with your brain. So there's different types of blue light blocking glasses. There are computer glasses that you would wear during the day when working with screens and under artificial light. There are light sensitivity glasses that you would also wear during the day with screens and artificial light. And then you have the blue light blocking glasses, which I wear at night, two to three hours before I go to bed, which promotes hormone health, helps your body produce melatonin, and aids in better sleep. My go-to is from Bon Charge. They have the science to back it up. They look super cool. The glasses come in non-prescription, prescription, and reading options. Glasses for every need. Bon Charge also has other amazing products such as low blue light bulbs, red light therapy devices, EMF slash 5G protection, and 100% blackout sleep mask that I take with me when I travel all the time. The greatest thing about them, all backed up by science. They gave... Keto Camp Podcast listeners, a 15% off coupon code. All you need to do is head over to bondcharge.com slash ketocamp and use the coupon code ketocamp at checkout, no space in between, to get 15% off your entire order. We'll drop that link down below along with the coupon code. Go check them out and let's get back to this episode. Stress for the mitochondria. Where does fasting come into play here? Because here's what I see. And, and, and you mentioned cold plunging and uh, cold exposure. What I've seen over the years is like we become fascinated with these amazing modalities like fasting or even ketosis, cold plunging, red light therapy, which are all similar in the way that it acts as a stress. And it could be positive as long as you don't do too much. But people do too much. They People are doing too much cold exposure right now, too much fasting, too much keto. So what are your thoughts on fasting specifically when it comes to this this positive stress? And have you seen people do too much of it? Fasting is is an enormous topic. I love it. I love that that's become one of your expertise. It's just such an interesting field. And there's so much misinformation out there. When we're talking about senescence, fasting is interesting because it's one of only a handful of lifestyle things that can support cellular senescence. And so we know that fasting, as an example, as you know, I'm sure if you've probably spoken about many times, it stimulates autophagy. And so it can it can really help support cellular repair so that cells then don't move into senescence. And I think that that is the most important aspect overall at the cellular level. Globally, I, th- I think fasting is, is critically important for, I'm going to say for most people, these days. I think it would have only been a, a sliver of a population, you know, 20 years ago, but with all of the toxicity that we're exposed to now, I think it's critically important to push reset, to give the body a chance to heal itself spontaneously. 
and to do what it does normally. And so I think that's only achieved through fasting, um, but it's got to be done intelligently. And I, I think most people don't understand the intricacies, how to walk into it, how to do it, and then how to exit um, a fast in the right way. And of course, the idea of like intermittent fasting is important. You can get the benefits in a very small window, but it's not suitable for everybody. And I don't know how much you talk about that or what your thought is necessarily, but coming from an Ayurvedic perspective, intermittent fasting and, and really fasting in general is, is most suited to kapha body types. And so they're kind of the big heavy set body types. If you're a pitta or you're a vata body type, you really should avoid fasting. And so in those cases, if I'm looking through that Ayurvedic lens, what I would recommend as an alternative is doing something called a mono diet. And a mono diet is, I'm going to say it's, it's a fast for the modern world. It, it's just eating one food continuously for an extended amount of time. I recommend using uh, a dish called kitchari. Um, it's kind of a traditional uh, Indian cuisine. It's kind of like uh, chicken soup uh, in India or maybe even like mac and cheese in India. But it's uh, basmati rice, ghee, uh, spices, vegetables, very wholesome, balancing foods, easy to digest, balancing to all body types. And doing that, you're basically allowing the body to repair itself during that time. You're getting the calories, you're getting some essential nutrients, you're doing things that are important, but you are allowing the body to push reset during that moment. So that's that's one way that I like to look at it. What, what about the argument that our ancestors all pretty much practice fasting, not by choice, but by necessity and survival. They didn't really understand what you're explaining here. So how, how would you counter that argument? I think that that was a stress response that they had to deal with. I don't know that given the choice that that's something that I would necessarily recommend. I mean, there is something, I think we are very disconnected from nature and there's something about fasting, especially in the springtime or maybe even in the fall that gets you more aligned with the rhythms of nature. I think there's a lot of value in that. But ultimately, like, look, we've, we've gone, you know, from famine, times of famine into times of feast. And most people are feasting way too much. And so I don't know. I, I think that there's, there is a middle point. And I think that I'll certainly acknowledge that my viewpoints have become less extreme as I've aged. I think I would have been a huge proponent of a seven-day water fast or or more. And I would say everybody needs to do that. But now I'm seeing the value of moderation and doing less. And rather than forcing the body into a certain movement, allowing the body to move in that direction if it has the opportunity or if it needs to intelligently. Yeah, I, I agree with your, your viewpoint. It makes total sense. Uh, and I'm guilty of, you know, when I started doing fasting in 2013 and started studying it, I did way too much fasting. I was getting way too much autophagy and I actually started to experience the, the detrimental effects of that. So now I always say the feasting is just as important as the fasting and there's a right way to do it. So the way that I, and I would love your feedback here, but the way that I kind of teach my students to look at if fasting is working for you or against you, number one, I have them track blood glucose and ketones during the fast. And what I want to see is ketones rise gradually and glucose drop. If I see glucose rising, I think it's too much of a stress. They might be going through gluconeogenesis, whatever it is. I have them break the fast. And then number two, I have them look at their heart rate variability. And if that's improving, then it might be working for them. But if, it see, if they see a tanking, it might be working against them. So those are a couple of metrics. What are your thoughts on that? 
I, I think you nailed it. I think those are the two that I, I would certainly look at as well. Those are tried and true. They're very immediate um, and they're very predictive. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So the feasting is, a, is as important as the fasting. Most people are feasting too much. They're in the, they're getting too much mTOR, which by the way, what are your thoughts on this mTOR thing? Because we have different sides saying, stay away from mTOR. It's going to age you really fast. And then we have more of what I think um, spurts of mTOR are really beneficial. So what, what are your thoughts on mTOR? I don't know that I have a really strong opinion on it, honestly. I'm not super well-versed on it. I've been asked that question. I haven't done the deep dive, so I don't, I don't really have a strong opinion yet. Okay. Yeah, but I would guess that you're more on my side because you're talking about the balance, right? Not too much fasting, so not too much autophagy, not too much feasting, so not too much mTOR. So I would, right. I would guess you'd be right there in the middle like me. Yeah. So Synalytics, let's talk about that. You know, I have three products here from your, uh, you've helped design this, Qualia. So it's a neurohacker collective. And I have a product called Life. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see me holding up here a product called Night and a product called Resilience. I'd like to start with Resilience. I've been taking this one the way that it rec you recommended it here. So five days on, two days off, two supplements each day. Talk about this supplement uh, called Resilience, Qualia Resilience, and why you put these ingredients in here. Yeah, it, so this this is really our attempt at a stress formula. As a company, we love ashwagandha, but ashwagandha can be known as kryptonite for motivation. It does have that calming kind of dampening effect, so it's not like ca caffeine, something that's going to wake you up and make you more active. Um, ashwagandha definitely does the opposite of that, and so we we wanted to create a stress formula that didn't inhibit motivation. And because we're neurohackers, um, we're always interested in cognitive function first. We think that's really the benefit of most of our products. And we're trying to give people benefit in that area. And so we didn't want to dampen that while buffering the effects of stress. We wanted to elevate mental function as well as buffer the effects of stress. I love that. Yeah, I feel good when I take it. I took two actually about an hour before we hit record here. And I like that you have it um, in terms of the instructions to use it cyclically. Now, let me ask you why you recommend that. Is it because when you take too many of these adaptogenic herbs, you develop a tolerance to it and it's good to kind of give yourself a reset and become more sensitive to it? Is that the reason why? Yeah, it's more philosophical. Um, of course, adaptogens are by definition non-toxic. You adapt, but, but generally speaking, very little. The idea really is just not to override the body's normal physiology and, and to support it. And so, you know, rather than doing macro doses of vitamins, we're always riding the lower end just to give the body a little nudge in that right direction. And so we, we as a company for, I'm going to say 95% of our products, we recommend doing five days on and two days off. But even before Neurohacker Collective, I was recommending that in a clinical setting, you know, for major healthcare issues, um, telling people do the regimen for five days on and then take a break on weekends. And I think it just kind of creates a little bit more freedom. It's kind of like the 80-20 rule. It creates a little bit more freedom in how they walk in the earth, what they eat, what supplements they take. And so I think it's important to create that freedom in regimens. Uh, you get more compliance, generally speaking. Yeah, more compliance. And it makes sense. Everything in nature is cyclical, right? So I always have a day... Sunday, where I don't take any supplements, I don't drink coffee, no caffeine, there's like nothing, no stimulation, just a day to kind of reset. And then I cycle and rotate supplements all the time, including different magnesium types or even different probiotic strains. So I love that you recommend that. I've also been taking your your night product. And 
it's not necessarily a product I have discovered that's going to make you feel sleepy or drowsy like melatonin. There's no melatonin in it. So you even say here it's non-sedating. You you take it. I take it usually like around 7 p.m. a couple hours after dinner. And it's, I got to say, it's been great. I've been looking at my aura ring scores and my HRV, my deep sleep, and it's been pretty good progressing. So what's in here? There's also ashwagandha, but what are the other ingredients in here that you like? Yeah, I mean, so the formula is really designed to be a nighttime adaptogen. And the reason that I, I love it so much is because it's not a melatonin supplement. You know, it's not designed to knock you out, to promote deep sleep, to do all of these things. It's meant to give you these adaptogenic compounds that normalize physiology that are needed later in the evening. And that's really what it's designed. It's really a, a nighttime adaptogen. Um, almost across the board, I wouldn't recommend that anybody use adaptogens in the afternoon. Um, there are certain adaptogens that energetically can be somewhat calming, but, but by and large, adaptogens tend to be energizing at the cellular level, at the system level. And so I wouldn't recommend taking them. But, but this select blend, you can definitely take in the evening. You, know, you can start taking it anytime after about 4 p.m., it does help with sleep as well, but it helps. It's kind of the period before sleep. It really helps optimize that. And so again, it's really geared towards mental function and then it's geared towards the next, next day mental function. So you wake up feeling refreshed and really ready to go. So did I make a mistake taking the resilience around 3 p.m. this afternoon? I don't think so. I took a dose right before this as well. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, again, there's, there's, there's ashwagandha in that product, which is calming. So it's not going to be super stimulating. Um, it is balanced with the theanine that's in the, re, in the resilience as well. In a lot of ways, the night and resilience, I would say, are complementary. They're definitely not at odds. Okay, that's good to know. And then the main one per the topic of today's conversation is your synolytic one, which has different synolytics in it, physetin, quercetin, and olive leaf extract and a few other things in it, milk thistle seed extract. So some good things for the liver as well. My question for you with that product would be this. Let's say somebody, because there's many ways to get autophagy. Fasting is one of them. It's a great method. Strength training is another one. And then the synolytics is another uh, method of getting autophagy. But I imagine you might not have an answer for this, but I would like for you to hypothesize if you don't. Let's say somebody is looking to achieve autophagy during a fast, and we don't really know when autophagy starts to get turned on during a fast. I would venture to guess if somebody's metabolically flexible, maybe 16 hours in, that light starts to turn on, but it could be earlier before. But the question is this, if somebody is doing fasting a 16-8, so 16 hours fasting, eight hours eating, but they take your synolytic products like eight hours into it, would you hypothesize if you could answer that they're going to achieve more autophagy during that fast with your product? Wow, what a big question. So the qualiacinolytic isn't really focused on promoting autophagy per se. Um, so uh, autophagy and this idea of senolytics or senescence, there's a lot of overlap, but they are very two distinct entities. And, and we really dug into the science of senescence for that product. With that said, the compounds that are in there, they certainly will support autophagy. There's, there's no doubt. But we haven't really dug in and developed the science in that area. The thing about this product, qualiacinolytic, is that we're using big doses of senolytics for a very short amount of time. And so we call it kind of the hit and run uh, regimen. So you hit the body, you hit the cells really hard, and then you let it relax. And so because we're hitting it so hard over the course of only two days per month, 
I would think that it's going to have a very big effect in that area in a very short amount of time, whether that's, you know, eight hours or whether that's 10 hours. So I, I would bet on that. I would too. Yeah, it makes sense to me. The, the, the challenge is like we can't really test for autophagy. Again, you have to go in a lab and get that LC3A protein done, but nobody's going to do that. So I, I think one of the better ways to kind of get a gauge if you're entering autophagy or not is what uh, Dr. Thomas Seafried kind of teaches with that um, glucose and ketones ratio. Would you agree that would be kind of a kind of a gauge if you see those ketones going up and glucose dropping that you might be going nearing autophagy? That makes a lot of sense. I, I think that that pattern overlaps w with the overall effect that you're looking for. Um, so I think if you can hit that sweet spot, I would say, yeah, that's exactly where the window, where the magic's going to happen. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's to me as well. I, I, I can't wait for a company to come out with a an autophagy continuous monitor or something like that. It's coming. <laughs> I don't know. Sure. I'm sure it is. Uh, first, I think there's going to be a continuous insulin monitor and a continuous ketone monitor. And then I think we'll get the uh, autophagy one. That'll be super cool. What I've seen happen in the last five years, it wouldn't shock me if that comes out. I mean, uh, like things are, are, are moving so quickly and the amount of innovation and technology is just, it's mind boggling. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. We live in an amazing time right now. By the way, uh, for those watching and listening, you could get any of the products mentioned and there's a ton other. Uh, we're going to put a link down below and you were gracious enough to give us a code, which is KetoCamp and y'all will get 15% off your entire order. So whatever products are resonating with you, go to the link down below and kind of view all the products they have. I can tell you, like, I think you'd notice a difference just the first couple days of using these products and you got a nice discount code. So thank you for doing that, Nick, by the way. You're welcome. Yeah. What are your thoughts on, um, you know, immune health? I, I know you're a big fan of like beta glucans for the immune system, but what are, explain why. And then what are some other ways we could make the immune system not stronger? We don't really want it like a strong, but like just performing the way it's designed to perform, especially when we're traveling. Yeah. I mean, you touched upon this earlier on the show. You talked about immune senescence and immune cells, just like all cells in the body go to senescence eventually. Um, and when these immune cells start to age, your immune function then decreases over time. And, and so part of the immune cell function uh, and role in the body is to, is to monitor the body for these senescent cells and then to pluck them from the body and eliminate them. Um, if you don't have that immune competence, these senescent cells then linger throughout the body. And so it's critically important, I think, in, in terms of uh, the senescent cell conversation that we've been having. Beyond that, though, I mean, immune function is crazy important. I mean, of course, I think in the last two or three years, we've all become a little bit more mindful of this. But even before that, I, for me, it was always a priority because nobody ever talked about the immune system or immune function until they got sick. And so it's critically important. It's critically important to everything that we do. And I mean, if you're, if, if you're just unwilling to check out of life for weeks at a time every month or every year, it's critically important that you're doing something to build that immune intelligence. And, and there's a billion things you can do. One of them would be the beta-glucans um, that you had mentioned. Um, and beta-glucans are, are found in a lot of cereal grains. They're part of the reason why everybody's having a love affair right now with medicinal mushrooms. They're, they're just these polysaccharides that naturally occur in the cell walls. And what they do when, when you basically are ingesting them on a daily basis, you're basically training the body uh, to build up its immunity. Um, so it's almost like when you're running um, and, and you're training for a triathlon or a marathon as it is, 
you know, you're doing little by little and you start slow. And over the course of time, you're building up your strength and your ability to run so that when the race actually race day occurs, you can go and you can meet, you can rise up to the challenge and race without any problems. And so the same thing here where you can start small and eventually you start eating more and more where you just build your immune intelligence so that when you have any exposure, any environmental exposure or otherwise, the body's kind of primed to respond in a healthy, intelligent way. And so that's why I like beta-glucans because it's something that you can do day in and day out, whether or not you're under the weather or you're healthy. Um, and it just gives you that immunity. It builds immunity. Um, it's especially important um, in, in older individuals. So over the age of 40, we see this decline in immune function almost across the board. So one way to get around that is just ingesting more of these beta-glucans. So huge fan. I do beta-glucans almost daily for that very reason. I like being healthy and, and not sick on a monthly basis. So Yeah, good idea, especially if you travel a lot too. For sure. So, and, and then just to kind of round out the conversation there, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of vitamin D. I know everybody's on that kick right now. Make sure you're, you're, you're complementing it with vitamin K2. Yeah, critically important. I think there's, there's more and more information out there right now. Um, I generally will recommend about 1,000 IU or maybe 2,000 IU of vitamin D um, and upwards of about 150 micrograms of vitamin K2. That's a really nice balance just to make sure that you're not um, absorbing uh, too much calcium and then putting the calcium in places where you don't want it. Vitamin K will put it directly into the bones, which is where you want it. Another basic idea is zinc. Zinc's become commodity. You can find it in gummies. Critically important, uh, take it with food. Uh, I would recommend somewhere between 10 and 30 milligrams on a daily basis. I find at the higher end, people get a lot of nausea. So just be mindful of that. Um, so start small. You can slowly ramp up to find a dose that's good for you. Zinc, you don't necessarily need to do every single day, but it's something to keep in your, your medicinal shelf. I, I will say that I'm a big fan of black garlic. Uh, fermented black garlic is fantastic. Uh, the studies show that it's more active uh, in terms of immune stimulation. Uh, it's more active than raw garlic. So black garlic is a tasteless. You don't burp up that sulfur uh, taste over the course of hours after ingesting it. It's really just clean burning uh, and it, it really builds immune competence over time. And then I'm getting into this idea of postbiotics. You're going to see kind of a, a revolution, I think, uh, over the course of the next two years. So we've moved from probiotics into prebiotics. And then I think everybody now is going to move over to this area of postbiotics. So a um, lot of really interesting ingredients coming out and some really fantastic products. Could you explain what a, pro, uh, what a postbiotic is? Yeah, so a postbiotic essentially is um, a heat-inactivated microorganism. So we know that probiotics are uh, alive. You ingest them, in theory, they uh, insert themselves into the gastrointestinal lining and they change the microbiome, the kind of ecology within the gut. Prebiotics are just foods that feed those bacteria. And then postbiotics are, I would say, I would use the analogy of a vaccination where you're getting this shell of a, of a virus or a bacteria. And when you ingest it or you shoot it into the body, the body then goes and reacts to that. 
And so it, it basically creates this huge physiologic uh, response throughout the body. It's a cascade response. Um, and that can help raise your T cell count, these other components of the immune system very significantly. And so we're finding that these heat activated um, or heat killed bacteria that are found in foods, certain fermented foods in particular, um, are very beneficial for building immunity. Interesting. So are you going to be developing your own products with some postbiotics? In the future? Yes, yeah. we are. We're launching one here um, in about two months. Um, awesome. It's called Qualia Symbiotic. We, of course, make very premium products. So we're, we're doing things that rise above, I would say, all the products on the marketplace right now. We're very proud of this. We do beta testing. Um, we have a very large uh, beta community where we test our products before we launch. And so this product is, is no different. Of course, we, we did a, a longstanding beta test on numerous individuals within the community and, and had amazing results. And so it's a very robust multi-ingredient uh, ingredient. It's really geared not only towards building gut health, but also towards the gut-brain axis. So again, supporting the mind as kind of a secondary benefit. That's awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to try that product. I always love what you guys are doing. I've been, you know, using your products for many, many years. So it's exciting when you have new products, because I'm like, I can't wait to try it. Uh, last question for you is this as we land the plane together. Another supplement we didn't talk about yet. It's actually my favorite supplement in the world. It's a vitamin, a vitamin G, which I call gratitude, vitamin gratitude. So my question for you, Nick, is what are you grateful for today? Oh, that's a great, yeah, we are all lacking vitamin G. I love that. I, you know, I'm grateful. I'm grateful just to, to be in this community of like-minded individuals. I, I love being on podcasts. You know, I'm not a natural speaker, but, but I like participating in the conversation. And I, it's great that we're all participating in it. And I think it's really moving all of us forward. I mean, in the last five years, I think everybody's gotten on the wellness kick and not only that, I think we've advanced it. And so I, I, I'm really grateful to be a part of that conversation. I'm grateful to continue to build products that create change in people's lives. Yeah, I, I, again, I'm, I'm, I, guess that's, I guess that's what I'm mostly grateful for today. I love it. It's a great vitamin G right there. So you mentioned you're going to be at KetoCon. Are you uh, speaking? You're a vendor, both? Both, both awesome. vendor and yep, I'll be uh, hosting one of the offsite talks uh, during that weekend. What's your uh, topic? What's your lecture going to be about? We're going to do a deep dive into senescence. So I'm going to pull up some of the, uh, the the clinical studies to date, the data, break down a little bit more of the story, but really get into some more of the, the technical aspects, how the ingredients work, how they impact cells, how they create the change that they create. So it's, it's, I, it's going to be a next level talk. I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I'm excited to watch it. So if you see Nick in KetoCon, either at his lecture or at the booth, let him know you heard him on the Keto Camp podcast. Give him a nice hug and give him a high five for the great work that he's doing. Nick, you're awesome. I appreciate you and all the work that you're doing. People like me get to benefit from all the things that go behind the scenes. And I'm just so grateful that you develop these incredible products that help us activate these sirtuins to help us just feel better and thrive, which is what it's all about. So thank you for coming on the show. It was a long time coming and I appreciate you uh, being here today. All right. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. Well, there you have it, Keto Camper. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and you have a better understanding on what causes aging and how to slow it down. 
We want to slow that bad boy down. If you want to learn more about Dr. Nick Bitts and his company that he creates products for Neurohacker Collective, click the link down below in the podcast notes and use the coupon code KETOCAMP to get 15% off your purchase to get any of the products mentioned on today's episode. Plus, there's a lot more we didn't have time to get into. If you want to watch the video format of today's interview and all interviews that can be found on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash KETOCAMP, we're going to include Dr. Nick Betts information down below, website, social media, etc. Also timestamps and notes of everything we mentioned can be found in the podcast notes down below. If you didn't grab your free ticket to my four secrets to keto masterclass, go to ketosismasterclass.com or click the link in the podcast notes down below. Please consider leaving the show a rating and review. And maybe you could share this episode with a friend. I'll see you in the next episode. Keto Camper, thanks so much for spending part of your day with Dr. Nick Fitz and myself. Talk to you soon. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.